nine marks of a healthy church. Now, this is an organization. It is uh, based out of Washington, D.C. with Mark Dever and his crew, uh, a lot of godly men. Uh, they have a lot of different books about discipleship and learning and training, but it started with this idea of how do you identify a good church? How do you connect with a good church? We've had a lesson series a couple of times. I want to say maybe last summer, Pastor Tom went through the five hallmarks of a biblical church, and you're like, well, which one is it? Is it nine marks or is it five hallmarks? Well, the nine marks are the more general things, and the five hallmarks kind of zoom in on how you practically apply those. And the first time he did the five hallmarks was in uh, 2011, and he redid it, I believe, last year because we've had so many new people. And it's been an interesting dynamic of our church is uh, since the whole COVID regrouping and whatnot, a lot of people here are new. They moved in from the area or they changed churches and our church has really grown. Our youth group has really grown. And so there's a lot of new people. So it's good to go over these things to make sure we're on the same page. Well, the first hallmark that we listed is a high view of God. And we talked about this is one of our uh, you know, main points of emphasis. We have it in the lobby over there. A high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a biblical view of man, a biblical view of the church, and the central place of Christ and the gospel. And all of those come out of that, those nine marks, right? The biblical theology. And uh, Eric taught on that last Sunday. Well, what does that mean? A biblical theology means that you study God with the Bible. And when you come to your conclusions about who God is, you have to use the Bible. So you can say, well, oh, God is a God of love, which is true. We've found that out in 1 John. But we also know that he's a God of wrath and he's a God of vengeance. But some people don't want to talk about the wrath. They don't want to talk about the vengeance. They create a God of their own liking, a God of their own choosing. Oh, God would never send someone to hell. Well, how do you know that? Well, I just know. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. You see, people do not have a high view of Scripture, so therefore they don't have the right view of God. And all of these things kind of uh, bleed into one another. A biblical view of man. When Edwin teaches about conversion, we're going to start with the idea that we're depraved. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing good that we can do. So these work together the five hallmarks and the nine marks. In these five, those are hallmarks of a biblical healthy church. Where those are present, where those are guiding principles, you will have a biblical church. Where any one of these is missing, you will have a church that is somehow lacking in meeting the standard of authenticity. When it comes to the nine marks themselves, the first mark is a biblical gospel. A biblical gospel. And then we talked about a biblical theology. Today, we're going to get to expository preaching. Edwin will look at conversion. I, I think it's Wednesday that Edwin has conversion with you. Uh, Joe already did, uh, no, Joe already did gospel. Wabi will do evangelism. Church membership, uh, we're going to have Joshua Scarborough come because he actually runs our church membership program here. He's going to talk to you about that. Church discipline is never fun, but it's a necessary thing. And then obviously discipleship and growth and then leadership. So these are the nine marks that we are studying until we get to our study in 1 Corinthians when school starts. But today is expository 
preaching. And what do we mean by that? And sometimes people use the word teaching, and sometimes they use the word preaching, and some think it's different, and some would say it's kind of the same. When we have our lesson time, we want to preach the Word of God to you. When you go to big church, they're going to preach the Word of God to you. The Nine Marks website says that expository preaching is an expositional sermon that takes the main point of a passage of Scripture and makes it the main point of the sermon and applies it to life today, which we go, yeah, duh. But for many churches, this is... Because instead of just finding what I, you know, unfortunately, some pastors have something they want to teach on. So what do they do? They find some verses that sound good to support what it is they want to communicate. Or they know they're going to the next passage, but they don't want to take the time to study it and to learn it. So they just kind of grab a few catchy points out of it, and then they throw that out there. But it's taking the Scripture, understanding the Scripture, and whatever that main point is, that's the main point of your lesson. There's times that even, you know, as guys are learning how to teach, they'll teach a lesson and I'll say, wow, everything you said was good. Everything you said was accurate. But you missed the point of what the author is teaching. And sometimes we struggle with that because when we get to our conclusion, we wrap up with the conclusion. It's normally be praying, be reading, be sharing the gospel. Are those good things? Sure. But sometimes that's not the direct implications or the application that comes out of that passage. D.A. Carson says, Preaching, whose subject matter emerges directly and demonstrably from a passage of Scripture. In other words, its content and structure demonstrably reflect what Scripture says and honestly seek to elucidate it, whatever that word means. You want to take what the Bible says and you want to make it clear to the audience. It's not what I want. It's not what I say. It's what the very Word of God is saying. What did Peter mean when he wrote this? When Moses recorded this, how did he want his audience to apply it? That's expository preaching. Someone really, really smart says this about expository preaching. Expository preaching is reading what God says in the Bible, explaining what God says in the Bible, and then exhorting the audience to obey what God says in the Bible. God has communicated to us through human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we may know the very mind of God. Expository preaching explains the author's original intent and its original context so that God's people may know how the timeless truth may apply, may then be applied to their walk with the Lord. And we get this, and I know you're like, well, isn't this a topical lesson? Yes, it is. But even the topical lesson has a basis from Scripture. In 1 Timothy 4.13 is that passage. Is that passage. Paul tells Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Well, what does he mean by that? It means reading the Scripture. It means exhortation. And it means teaching. 
So if I'm going to do expository preaching, I need to read it. I need to read it. Now for us, right, sometimes I have the words on the screen and it's good for you to follow along, but there are times I don't give you those words and we want you to bring your own Bible. And if you forget, that's okay. You can go grab one in the rack. But the idea is that when you, when you use your own Bible, you kind of start to remember where things are. You start to remember where things are, where all of it is, but we're going to read it to you. And that, that's pretty simple, right? We all can read it, can we not? But then we're going to explain it. And that's what the teaching part is. I'm going to teach you how to do it, right? You, you teach someone how to fish. You teach them to get that pole and to string that line and to put that hook on and to stab that worm and throw the thing out, push the little button and it'll reel it in once to look at that bobber and wait. You're teaching them. You don't just say, hey, go catch something. So I've read it, and now I need to teach it to you. I need to explain it to you. And you say, well, can I figure it out on my own? Well, yes. Yes, you can. Because you also have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. But there are hours that are put into understanding exactly the context of the passage and the exact grammar of the verses that you are teaching. And so we are reading it to you, but then we're going to explain it to you. And when we explain it, we want you to see that our points come exactly from Scripture. Then we want you to apply it. That's what the exhortation is. And you can see, like with this lesson, here is what he wants him to do, and here is how to do it. You can see I didn't make these things up, did I? They're just exactly from what Paul said. But now I'm teaching it to you, and I'm going to ask you to apply it. Now, you're not a pastor, obviously, but one day, Lord willing, you may teach. So some of you young men, uh, I'd like to work maybe in the spring about teaching some of y'all how to teach God's Word and give you an opportunity. So what we used to do with, with getting grounded and things like that, because it could be that the Lord's called you to be a pastor. Or he's called you to be a missionary. Or he's just called you to teach in the local church. Well, how do you think our current teachers got where they are? Someone taught them how to do it. They gave them an opportunity and they worked with them. So it could be one day you're a teacher. And if you're a teacher, this is what you do. You don't make up stuff. You simply preach the truth that's there. You read the text. You explain the text, and you apply the text. And you think often of a formal setting like this, but we had lots of teachers that were helping with VBS. That was guys. That was ladies. We have ladies that teach ladies here at our church. And, you know, we have a, a, a men's practicum where we get to hear them teach. And then from there, we have cohorts where we give them feedback, and we listen to lessons. And we do that both with the men and with the women. So... My hope and prayer is to see y'all become the next generation of leaders in our church. And if you've been somewhere long enough, you, you see that happening. And it's awesome and it's a huge blessing. But we need people in our church to grow up and to be our next teachers. And if you're ever like, well, you know, that guy, I, I get it, but he, you know, he's, he's a little boring there. Right? He, he read a little too much. You know what, if I was teaching, I would have done that. Well, you you got to put that aside, and you got to focus and power through, right? But maybe you're the teacher that needs to put in the work and that can make that connection. 
and make sure that you have an interesting, you know, approach to things and a dynamic. But apply it. For you, I want you, first of all, if you're not going to be a teacher one day, I want you to be a good listener. And you've got to know, this is what I'm trying to do. Our teachers, this is what they're trying to do. You know, every once in a while, we'll, you know, we'll experience something that a coach is doing. You know, maybe Jason Kidd or someone says something in the media, and it's like, they're all coaching tactics. You know what he's trying to do. He's saying this to the media to motivate who? The player that he's talking about. And it's just the coaches have these little things they pull to the back of it and so forth. So you just recognize that and you deal with it. Well, when you're sitting in the audience, you should be looking for that teacher to read that passage. And you should have your Bible open. And you should be reading, oh, yeah, yes, that is what it says. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. And then you should be seeking to understand the passage as well. And then you on your own should be trying to apply it. And then you're utilizing the efforts of the teacher as you do that. And sometimes you might say, oh man, he, he missed this point. I would have said this. And you know what? That's okay. Apply it to your own life. Apply it to your own life. But this sounds so simple. So why don't all churches do this? You know, I do this because it's right. It's biblical. But I also do this because it's easier for me. Why? I don't have to worry about what to say because I'm just going to say what the Bible says. It's a safeguard for me. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, as I work with different people in youth ministry, you know, uh, you know whether I share our camp document with someone or uh, I share our reading plan with another pastor in another state, I'm like, look, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can tweak it however you want, or you can just use what we have. Well, in my lesson time, when I preach to you, I'm not coming up with my own thoughts and ideas. I'm just taking what the Scripture says. But why don't other churches do this? While the concept is simple, it is hard work. It is hard work. Now, for different people, it takes them a different amount of time. You know, some people will say it takes them 15 hours to study for a lesson. Others would say 10, others a little less. But you're taking those verses and you're understanding the whole book and how those verses fit into the book and into the chapter and into the section. And you're looking up what all of the words mean because we know in the New Testament it was written in Greek, translated into English. So I want to know what that Greek word means. Or if it's Old Testament and it's Hebrew, I want to know what that Hebrew word means. And so there's a lot of looking up. And there's a lot of reading. And there's a lot of cross-references. Now there's some helpful tools like Logos and Accordance and stuff that really helps us with those things. But it is harder to say what was Paul teaching and then to teach it rather than just say, oh, you know what, I got 30 minutes, boom, got it, let's go. And you look at a lot of the churches in the area and a lot of people are teaching stuff that's wrong and they spend zero effort on it. They're out networking on the golf course or whatever it is that they do. And they will be held accountable. They will be held accountable 
They're doing the lazy, easy thing. And unfortunately, people gravitate towards what? The one who tickles their ear. The one who puts on a good show. The one who wears a nice suit. The one who's extra funny. That's what people want. So that's what people go to. And that's what the wolves give them. That's what it gives them. It's easily viewed as outdated or unapplicable. Oh, that's what you used to do. That's not what we do anymore. That's it's not relevant anymore. All right, you got to be you got to be hip. You got to be cool. You got to be in tune with these youth. It's not what you need to do anymore. Not all churches want it. Not all churches want expository teaching. So that's what they get. They want garbage, so they get garbage. I want you to go to 2 Timothy 4. Understanding the context of 2 Timothy. Remember, this is Paul's last letter to his beloved son in the faith before Paul is going to be beheaded. Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus, and he's struggling. There is strife from within. There is opposition from without. And Paul tells him to do the work, to not be afraid, to not be timid. But in chapter 4, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Isn't that heavy? Isn't that a gut punch? Hey, look, Timothy, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm really sorry about that, buddy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, on behalf of Jesus, the ruler of all, I charge you. I charge you, Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, including you. This is what you have to do, pastor. Preach the word. Preach the word. You need to be ready in season and out of season. Well, if there are only two choices, in season and out of season, that means what? All the time. All the time. You need to be ready all the time. Repute, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And he's saying when you preach the word, that's when you reprove and that's when you rebuke. You do it through the systematic teaching of God's word. Unfortunately, there's pastors that skip passages and they skip parts because it, it might cause someone in their church to feel bad. Or it's something in their own life they don't want to expose. Verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. Is that not where we are today? I'm, I'm pretty sure I've shared this story before, but uh, on the football team, they would view me as like the religious guy. And so before our first scrimmage, they wanted me to pray. Because I was the religious guy, right? And so I prayed, not for victory. I prayed that the Lord would save their souls from the fiery pits of hell. Did they ask me to pray the next week? They found the guy 
that was semi-religious that would pray for us to win. Pray for us to win. And when we didn't win, we, we lost the game before State. It was, a, it was a crushing game. He came up to me and he had a crisis of faith. And he said, Justin, why didn't it work? I prayed that we would win. And I said, Brandon, don't you think they prayed to win? People want to hear that they're okay. That they're doing all right. I'll give you an example of this over in, at Gateway. Uh, Robert Morris, who, let's be clear, he's a, he's a wolf in sheep clothing. He has a series that's like the divine. It's the divine. And he made the argument, so I, the one I listened to, it was Moses. And when Moses did something right, the divine was working through him. But when he did something sinful, that was just him being a man. And so essentially what he was doing was he was setting up a situation where when you sin, it's okay, you're just a man. But when you do something good, that's God working through you. And it breeds an atmosphere or an idea of, you know what? Yeah, I'm just a man. I'm going to sin. Uh, but then when the good thing happens, it's the di- I, I'm divine. It's, it's the divine thing. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on in his life that he's setting up here. Because people want to hear that they're okay. They don't want to sit in the chair and have someone blast them. And that's what the Word of God does. It exposes your sin. Why did people not love Jesus? Jesus was the light. The word is his light. They don't want the light to expose their deeds. They want someone to say, attaboy, good job. They want someone to to ease their conscience, to appease them, to just take their money and slide away. And by the millions, people line up for it. They line up for it. Now, I haven't visited most youth groups in this area. But I, I seriously doubt that they're going through a book of the Bible like this. Seriously doubt that. I, I went to a, a youth pastors coalition meeting and we went around the table and we, we talked about what was going on and each youth pastor said, oh, yeah, we've got this program coming up and it's awesome and we had this many people and oh, yeah, we're going here and we're doing this thing and oh, it's, it's really good and oh, da-da-da-da. And then it got to me and I said, well, We're preaching through the book of James, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're studying about what it means to really be a Christian. Crickets. Crickets. They put fun and flash ahead of the Word of God. Why? It's easier to do that other stuff than to teach the Word, but also their audience doesn't want to hear it Or they don't think you're smart enough to hear it. Isn't that an insult? They don't think you can sit and listen and glean. This is too much. This is too boring. But men will accumulate for themselves those that will tickle their ears. Do not let your ears be tickled. Don't go to the church that is the most fun, is the most flashy. Go to where you're going to hear the word of God being taught. Now, if you're not familiar with Dr. Steve Lawson, he's been a pastor for a number of years. He, he now teaches classes at the Master's uh, Seminary. Well-known man. He's, 
He's been here a number of times. Uh, I particularly enjoy him because he has a weird diet, and he'll only eat certain things, which sounds really normal to me. But in the class that I was taking with him, you're not going to be able to see all of this. He, ha- he talked about the meaning of expository preaching. Basically, what is it? They're, the essential terms are expository and preaching. You get it, right? Expository is the setting forth of the meaning of something. So expositing is taking the meaning and putting it forth. Synonyms would be informative, instructive, explanatory, descriptive. Preaching would be teaching information and beyond. So that's where they would kind of say, if you're teaching something, you're just teaching. So I'm teaching you how to fish. I'm teaching you how to play the ukulele, whatever it is. But preaching is teaching it to you and then getting you to apply it to your life in a way that transforms. Transforms. So I can teach you to obey mom and dad. But then if I don't tighten the screws and practically get you to apply that, then it's not going to uh, change anything. Synonyms would be exhortation, application, implication, on and on and so forth. A tragic departure from this would be what preaching is not. The first would be the seeker-sensitive movement. And we've talked about this before. The seeker-sensitive movement says, look, I want the church to look like the world. So some of them, their, their church looks like a movie theater or it looks like a bar. It looks like a place of comfort. And then instead of me sharing the gospel to people, I'm just going to invite them to church. Now, it's good to invite them to church. We do that too. I'm just going to invite them to church, and then it's the pastor's job to share the gospel with them. And so the church no longer is a collection of disciples of Christ. The church is this mix-mash of people. Some that are enemies of God and hate God, the seeker-sensitive movement. Others are motivational speaking. You should be motivated to apply the word of God, but you'll have people, unfortunately, that'll just pup you up with a funny story or a little antidote or something like that, some sort of motivational thing. Sometimes it's a cultural commentary where there's talking about what's going on in our society, but not really driving it back to the scriptures. Unfortunately, there are times that it's psychological analysis That's a redefining spiritual problems into psychological categories. Like, you don't struggle with adultery. You're not an immoral person. You have a sexual addiction. So a lot of these addictions and chemical imbalances and that stuff, that comes from from psychology. And it permeates the church because then they say, like, you know, when the whole Tiger Woods thing came out, how he's sleeping around with all these people. They're like, oh, he can't help it. He's, He's addicted to sex. No, he's a gross, terrible man. And he needs to go to rehab for the situation he's in. No, he needs to come to Christ because it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change on this. Now, there are true medical things that sometimes you act a certain way because there's a, a deficiency or something like that. You can work those things out with your doctor. But for the most part, all right, for the most part, this is psychobabble that people use to excuse themselves. You're a pathological liar. What's that mean? Well, I can't, this is who I am. I just, I just lie. Well, yeah, you are, because you're a sinner, and you're dead in your sins, and you're going to keep coming back to that. Narrative preaching, this would be the, the teacher is a storyteller, and they come up with some allegory. You know, unfortunately, we have a, a, an example of this that we typically use from the, the village with Matt Chandler, 
and how he's tell, talking about the, the story of David and Goliath and how it's about slaying sin in your life. It is? It's news to me. We know what David and Goliath is about, right? Goliath mocked the one true God. David represented the one true God. And so when it came down to it, this impossible feat happened because God strengthened and empowered David. It wasn't about slaying the giants of your life. It was about worshiping the one true God and trusting him no matter what. But even good godly men can come across and spiritualize or allegorize things instead of simply preaching the truth. There's this uh, text springboarding. You read a passage and everyone's like, yes, he read a passage. Let's go. And then nothing of the lesson is about that. They don't come back to it at all. Could be a data dump. Fortunately, there's people that it's merely a lecture. That's typically the person that just sits there and reads the whole time. And it's like a, a, an essay or a paper they have for a seminary or a class or something. And it's really important that they spend that hour and 15 minutes giving you that information. But in the end, they don't teach you how to apply it. You know, teaching should be a, a thing of passion. A thing of passion. There should be an excitement to it as we teach the Word of God. I don't want to just take everything that I learn and just... I want to preach it to you. I want to preach it to you. The various kinds of exposition... Uh, there's sequential. This would be verse-by-verse verse exposition of the Scriptures. That's what we do most of the time. So when we get to 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going to do it. We do that because that's how God gives it to us. I mean, imagine taking a, a text that your friends, some of your friends send those really long texts, and you're like, how'd you even do that? Like skipping to the middle or just going straight to the end? No, you start at the beginning, and you go through all of it. That's how God gives it to us. It makes sure we teach the full scope of God's Word. You model proper Bible study methods. The, uh, depend, uh, depends the, the spiritual life of the preacher. It economizes your time. It makes you controversial that you can't skip parts. You know, the first job I had as a youth pastor was in Lubbock. And it was a church that we went to. And we didn't know that there were some undercurrents of bad theology within the church because they kept it a secret. And so he didn't teach books of the Bible very often because he knew that if he taught chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the controversial thing that he believed would be exposed. And they just wanted to kind of sweep it under the rug so that no one would get upset. While eventually you, you catch on to those things. You catch on to that. Uh, it promotes long pastorates. You stay somewhere and you teach. That's what you do. Uh, another kind of exposition would be sectional. You preach through a section or a part of a book, not the entire book, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount, the Upper Room Discourse, the Ten Commandments. Could be that you go straight to 1 Corinthians 13 to teach about love and what that looks like. Topical is another way to do this. It's a thematic or theological. It's a subject or a particular doctrine like expository preaching, something along those lines. You see that uh, you could be about repentance or regeneration, church discipline, divorce and remarriage, the attributes of God, on and on. But even as you have those topics, it's still based and it's rooted out of Scripture, out of the Word of God. Biographical could be a character study from the Bible and develop a sermon or a series. Representative would be selecting ten passages from a larger book. 
systematic theology, major areas, and develop them from a specific passage, and then on and on and on. All right, the last one, polemic, knocking the teeth out of a false position, like the Strange Fire Conference that they're going to be doing in California coming up again. With expository preaching, Nine Mark says, the Bible has many examples of this kind of preaching and teaching. The Levitical priests taught the law in Deuteronomy 33.10. Ezra and the Levites read the law and gave the sense of it in Nehemiah 8. Peter and the apostles expounded Scripture and urged their hearers to respond with repentance and faith. On the other hand, God condemns those who speak of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. So if you're thinking, or if someone argues, this idea of expository preaching, it's new. It's new. They didn't do it back then. Oh, yes, they did. The priests did. The Levites did. Ezra does that. Peter and the apostles did this. They are preaching the word. Remember in the the synagogue where Jesus sat down to what? To teach, to explain the scripture. Expository preaching, why it's important, is important because God's word is what convicts, converts, builds up, and sanctifies God's people. That's what it is. If you want people to grow, if you want people to put off sin, if you want people to put on righteousness, you teach them the word of God. It's not rocket science. Preaching that makes the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon, makes God's agenda rule the church, not the preachers. And this is an example where you have been at Countryside for a long time. And this is what we have done for a long time. And this is what we always want to make sure that we're doing. But if you go somewhere, is this what you see? Is this what you're doing? Do you love it that we do this? Or do you simply tolerate it? Simply tolerate it. Expository preaching equips the church and leads to unity. How does it lead to unity? Imagine if I was teaching my opinion and you got that from 6th grade through 12th grade, but then Brandon had a different opinion and then you got into the college group and you got that for another five years or something like that. It would be confusing, right? There would be a this side, this side type of thing. Imagine if Joe in the children's ministry was teaching one thing and I'm teaching another and, and then it's all sides and we're picking and we're... But instead, we've all said, look, let's come back to the meeting ground. Right here, what this says, this is what we believe, this is what we do. No ifs, ands, or buts. We come back to it. So even in our elders' meetings, when we're making decisions, we have to go, whoa, what does the Bible say? And we all agree to that, and it breeds unity. Remember Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You need the, the, the preaching of God's word to unify the people. Expository preaching is modeled by Jesus 
modeled by Paul, Moses, and others in the Bible. Moses, Deuteronomy 4.1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. Deuteronomy was the second giving of the law. Let's go back to what you've already received and I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to explain it to you and I'm going to apply it for you. Why? So that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Thirdly, expository preaching sanctifies the church because it preaches God's truth. Sanctifies the church because it preaches God's truth. John 17, 17. Jesus prays for his disciples and therefore prays for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He knew that he was about to go to the cross. And when he left and he ascended into heaven, he knew that those men in that room were going to start the church. And he wanted them to be sanctified and he wanted the the movement of the church to be sanctified in the truth. And only his word is truth. Fourthly, expository preaching affirms the lordship of Christ over his church. Ephesians 1.22, and he puts all things in subjection under his feet and gave Christ his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and so we obey his word. We submit to his word. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind of the Lord? That he will instruct him, but we have the mind of of Christ. At Corinth, there's all sorts of bickering and arguing and divisions and disputes. And Paul says, stop it. Go back to Jesus in his word and all of you agree to submit to it. Expository preaching manifests submission of the Bible. Manifests submission of the Bible. If we have a high view of God, shouldn't we teach his word? High view of God, holy, creator, sustainer, loving, merciful, wrathful, jealous. I have a high view of God, so I will teach his word. You don't need to hear what I think. You need to hear what God knows. If we have a high view of scripture, isn't it expected that we spend considerable time preaching it? Considerable time preaching it. Now, I try to do a good job of putting a time limit and ending in that time. But it takes time to explain. It takes time to exhort. It takes time to apply. I I, I don't want to go forever because I know attention spans only so much. All right? But it does take time to do it. It takes time on Sunday and it takes time on Wednesday. The things I want you to walk away from and I want you to consider is expository preaching a mark of our church. Talking about a healthy church, we're talking about a real, biblical, legit church. Yeah, absolutely. What do we do in big church? We study God's word together. 
whether it's 1 John or whether it's Revelation, or I believe Jonathan's probably in Colossians today. Yeah, we do that. Our students' ministry, which I know, K through six or K through five are still students, but somehow they're not students, they're children. And then you become the students and the college people are students, all right? We teach God's word. That's what we do. Our children's ministry, they teach God's word. It's important to them, all right? Even by the time they're two, they learn that the Bible is true. And what is it, Psalm 40, that all of them can quote? It's pretty amazing what they do over there in the children's ministry. What's your attitude and commitment to it? Is lesson time the biggest beating in the world for you? Are you doing the thing where you put your phone on the ground and you, you look at your phone the whole time like you don't think anybody's noticing that? Are you whispering and giggling with your buddy the whole time? Are you just doodling? Now, I will say this, side note. I've probably told you this before, but there's this one kid that I'm like, man, you didn't listen to a word I said. You just drew the whole time. And he's like, no, 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 I did. And he, it was like a mountain with a river and trees. And from it, he gave me every single point of my lesson from that picture. And I'm like, whatever, you can draw whatever you want, kid. <laughs> we learn in different ways. Some of you are note takers, and that's how you learn. Some, you're not a note taker. Uh, I get it. But the big thing is I, I want you to listen, and I want you to follow along, and I want you to learn. I want you to love this time in the Word, to discipline yourself. Go to bed on Saturday night so you're not a zombie on Sunday morning. Don't avoid the main service. Run to the main service so that you can hear God's Word being taught. If you agree with this lesson and the importance of the preaching of the word, what should your attitude or commitment be to it? You should want to be here as much as you can. And you know, kids are technically savvy these days. It's all recorded online if you ever miss. On a Wednesday, you can watch the YouTube thing. But on Sundays, it's recorded online for y'all. We're trying to work to have both of them recorded but we're not we're not quite there you can go back and you can listen and you can do those things what are some changes that you need to make to maximize the lessons that you hear this is a good one to think through don't let the lesson go in one ear and out the other maybe you do need to take notes maybe you need to review them the next day because there's some good things that we learn and we go oh i'm going to change everything and then we never meditate on it. We never go back to it. And we as uh, small group leaders, we try to help you apply those things and to remember them. But you have to answer that question for you. What are some things that are there? Maybe, maybe you need to bring a water bottle so you can get a sip of water. Maybe you need to get some coffee or something like that. Maybe you need to get a snack and keep it with you. You can't, you can't sleep through the lessons, people can't sleep you need to be engaged but I know sometimes it can be a little long all right we get a little sleepy we had a little bit of a long week you had a long VBS and all of that stuff what do you need to do to help you with it we won't go to practice time we'll actually in there the other thing I'm going to communicate to y'all as I close as you served in VBS as you serve in Awana what did those kids see about your attitude towards the lesson time? So Awana 
there's an awesome opportunity to share the gospel to our kids, but also to other kids. When you get into that lesson time, what are you doing? I've seen youth talk the whole time. I've seen them play on their phone. What is your attitude that you're communicating to the younger generation? All right? I want you to love God's word. I want you to study God's word. I pray that the Lord would raise up teachers from this group, but also model a love for God's word to others. Your younger brother and sister that are sitting with you in that service, don't you want them to listen? Don't you want them to learn? Don't you want them to follow your example? We got to do those things. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you. And we thank you for your word. And You didn't just give us your word to sit there. You gave it to us so that we can read it and we can understand it, so that we can teach it, so that we can grow by it. And we thank you for your truth. Help us to have a better attitude. Help us to have a better mindset. Help us to organize and prioritize the things in our life so that we can fully maximize our time studying your word. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.